If you like your theology hot, caffeinated, and stimulating, pour yourself a second cup of your favorite beverage and sit down with me, Keith Giles, as we explore topics like hell, the second coming, biblical inerrancy, women in the Bible, deconstruction, penal substitution, and so much more in the brand new book, Second Cup with Keith. Now, it's inspired by my podcast of the same name, Second Cup with Keith, but in the book, we'll go even deeper into these topics and prepare to be inspired, surprised, and challenged on nearly every page as we tip every sacred cow and leave no theological stones unturned. Second Cup with Keith, Volume 1, the brand new book from Choir Publishing and Keith Giles, available now on Amazon. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Faith, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Welcome back to Snarky Faith. I'm Stuart Deloney, your guide through the wilderness of spiritually disenfranchised radio. Had enough of the insanity in Christianity? Well, you've come to the right place. We're here on a quest for a sane, grounded faith that aims to make the world better in real, tangible ways. We're not afraid to call out the religious BS or to look for better pathways forward. If your conversations about faith require a heavy dose of sarcasm and even a bit of this, then welcome home. You can find this and all past episodes at snarkyfaith.com or wherever else you listen to podcasts. We're here, we're there, we're practically everywhere. Just look for Snarky Faith. Previously on Snarky Faith. I said there's only one person that can do it all the way. You know who that is? Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus came down and said, I want to be speaker. He would do it. Other than that, I haven't seen, I haven't seen anybody that can guarantee it. But well, Jesus Christ, we certainly got a new speaker. His name, as you've all probably heard by this point, Mike Johnson. Wait, wait, no, no, no. Not the Mike Johnson that's your kid's orthodontist. I know you were thinking that one. Not that guy. What about the guy that prepares your taxes? No, not that guy either. I mean, is he a guy that would talk about porn and having his 17-year-old son as an accountability partner? Wait, that is the Mike Johnson that we are talking about here. The guys at this event, you might want to think about doing this with your sons. And so we've been doing that. And so what it does real, real simply is it has an algorithm and software. I'm, it's way above my head how it works. But um, it, it scans. You, you obviously opt into it. But it scans every all the activity on your phone or your devices, your laptop, tablet, what have you. We do all of it. And then it sends a report to your accountability partner. So my accountability partner right now is Jack, my son, right? And so he's 17. So he and I get a report of all the things that are on our phones or all of our devices once a week. If anything objectionable comes up, your accountability partner gets an immediate... So your 17-year-old son is your porn accountability partner. Ooh, for all of you evangelicals out there, you'll re be remembering covenant eyes. Yeah, it's still going. I'm surprised too. So what I figured is that our new Speaker of the House has a little 
has a little more behind him in his resume than simply just porn and his son. Yeah, we're going to do a real quick dive into who the hell is Mike Johnson. And here's some points that will help to boost Mike's Christian crazy resume. We'll do a few quick things here, a few rundowns here. I think you've heard about this on the show before. The Ark Encounter? Anyone? Anyone? Large theme park? Theme park? Is that the right way to say it? Large event? Place large boat that resides in Kentucky. The Ark Encounter, Ken Ham. Yeah, that guy. The guy that believes that we were on Earth with the dinosaurs and that also the Earth is 6,000 years old. Yeah, that Ken Ham, that Ken Ham. You know, Mike Johnson helped Ken Ham and the Ark Encounter get public funds to fuel this large boat that is surrounded by concrete but 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 filled 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 with tons of lies that make evangelicals horny yeah yeah he's connected in that way so rest assured the christian nationalism is alive and well and that the new u.s speaker of the house is full of it and when I say full of it, he's full of a lot of shit in this. Yeah, yeah. He's a dude that doesn't believe in the separation of church and state. He views women as simply breeders because he's hardcore. He is hardcore pro-life. Pro-life meaning that Mike has even argued that the fact that one of the reasons that we have issues with enough people in the workforce, well, that's because of abortion. Think of all these little tiny hands we could have in factories, like reaching into gears and doing, what are we like back in the, 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 the 1800s, 1700s, 1600s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need more child labor. We need more kids because they're just meat bodies for the economical glory of America. That's, that's one of the weirder arguments I've ever heard about being pro-life is the fact that if women were only having more babies, then we'd have plenty of workers. So get breeding, ladies. Get breeding. Except if you do it in the wrong way, we're going to kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of look down on you. Well, want more? Because I've got more. Mike Johnson also, you know, he's just kind of a, a, what we'd call like a warm and fuzzy kind of guy that, hates anybody that's not like him. Uh, Johnson vehemently, vehemently uh, believes that same-sex marriage is an abomination. Uh, he is also, he has also talked about gay sex being criminalized. Oh, this guy, this guy. It sounds like he'd be at home with the Southern Baptist, which also he has done work with in the past as well, too. I mean, this just keeps going. You know something else so fun about how much fun he likes to have at home with the missus? Oh, well, apparently in Louisiana, Mike Johnson felt that getting married was not enough. Because also, Louisiana is one of the few states that has covenant marriage on the books. Covenant marriage, which just sounds lovely. 
if you want a recipe to be able to be a domestic abuser. Yeah, yeah. Taking this from the Louisiana State Legislator's website, covenant marriage is entered into one male and one female who understand and agree that marriage between them is a lifelong relationship. Oh, it sounds nice. But what they have to do, covenant marriage has a higher bar to exit than normal marriage. And listen up, because these are great. Uh, If adultery was committed, and you can prove it, another reason you could do it, if a spouse is sentenced to death or imprisonment at hard labor for committing a felony. Wait, what? So that's... If your spouse is sentenced to death or imprisonment at hard labor for committing a felony, but, you know, what if they're not sentenced to death or imprisonment and there's no hard labor, but abuse still happens? (laughs) What do you do about that? What do you do about that? And apart from that, the only way that this can happen is also if the spouses have been living separate apart without any kind of reconciliation for more than two years. This is a weird hill to die on. Or maybe it's a weird hill to build your patriarchy on. Ah, I think he'd be pretty cool with that. As long as it doesn't pop up in his browser and Covenant Eyes tells his son that he's looked at something a little naughty, even if it's patriarchy naughty. And running down the rest of the list, uh, Johnson has blamed school shootings on anything from, get this, teaching of evolution to removing prayer from schools. Totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. Yes. Evolution and prayer versus guns. That works every time. Uh, Elsewhere with Mr. Johnson, Johnson, when he's been in Congress, introduced the bill called Stop Sexualization of Children's Act of 2022. Didn't go anywhere, but still, this was a national version of Florida's Don't Say Gay Bill. Want more? We got more. Oh, post-January 6th? Yep, Johnson supported not certifying the Electoral College results from Arizona and Pennsylvania. He also wrote an amicus brief to the Supreme Court to halt the certification of the vote in Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Yeah. Did I say this before? Because if I didn't say it, he was a professor at Liberty. And if all of this sounds like Christian nationalism and something that would be great for serving up our section, the Christian crazy, it's because it is! Yes, yes. We can get sick at people like Jim Jordan, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and guess what? Mike Johnson, Mike Johnson is just a Ned Flanders version of both of them. And if you don't believe me, listen, listen to how this clueless idiot referred to his wife when he was at the moment of accepting his speakership. Because it's clueless, but it sells as Christian. She spent the last uh, couple of weeks on her knees in prayer to the Lord, and um, she's a little worn out. What? Uh, phrasing? Yep. Yep, he said that. His wife's knees are all worn out for the Lord! And oh, Lord, it's crazy. It's sick. Keep your eyes open and pay attention to this guy because he's not your accountant or the guy that mows your lawn. No, no. He's a bigoted, misogynistic Speaker of the House. 
And now, the Christian crazy. Because Mike Johnson fits in right there with all of your choices cuts from Christian Nuts. Here we go. If loving the Lord is wrong, I don't want to be right. Lord have mercy. The Lord is my shepherd. He know what I want. Now, rarely, rarely, like, I want my steak. Very rarely, rarely do we ever have anything in the Christian crazy that's good news. Not like Jesus good news, but something that's, you know, not gross and Christian crazy-ish. I'm not really sure if that's a word. But yes, we've actually got something good coming here from Screamy Pastor Shane Vaughn. And when I say Screamy Pastor, adjust your ears. This dude's voice, you know, some people out there in the world would say, oh, their voice is like velvet. This is like if you were to take your cat and use a cheese grater against it. That is the blessing of Shane Vaughn's voice. But let me go ahead and have Shane give you the weirdly good news of the week, right? (laughs) Didn't expect this. Didn't expect it from him. I had a man literally leave my church this week because I mentioned Donald Trump in the pulpit mixing religion and politics. Let me tell you something. I hope I lose everybody if that's what they leave for because God called me to stand up for America, to stand up for Donald Trump, and it'll be a cold day in the gates of hell before I ever shut up. Everybody can leave. There you heard it. Everybody can leave. Everybody should get out because I love me some Trump. This isn't kind of a weirdly love like a man and a man like a Jonathan and a David kind of a love. No, it's a love that the Lord told me I'm supposed to have, but you know, if I lose my church over it, amen, amen, amen. This is back to me. Amen, right? Because should anyone actually be going to and contributing to Shane Vaughn's church? Well, 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 well. I'll leave that up to you. But before you get too heavy into your contemplation over Shane Vaughn and his congregation, I'm going to offer you something else. This is some red meat for the Christian crazy here. So we have Kent Christmas speaking as he likes to as if God had told him these things. Now, here's my assignment for you. Here's my assignment for you as you're listening. Ah, how do I put this delicately? Well, let's listen to the words of God via Kent Christmas, and you just kind of got to ask yourself, is God a dick? Because there's really no other way for me to see it when you listen to this. So. Tell me I'm wrong. Here we go with Kent Christmas. I could have stopped coronavirus, says the Lord. I watched him in the labs as they put it together. I watched him as they began to loose it on the nations. And I could have stopped it. I did not say it, the Lord. 
because I was going to use it, that what the enemy intended for evil, I would turn it into good. Oh, praise Jesus, praise Jesus. Because really, when you listen to shit like this, there's really only two ways you can interpret it. Either, either from this perspective via Mr. Christmas, either God is absolutely impotent or, or, like I said before, God's just a huge dick. Now, am I saying that's what I believe? Uh, it's what I believe if, if you are to, if you are to take on what we will call this type of Christmas worldview, then yes, yes, God is an impotent dick that needs assholes like Kent Christmas to be his mouthpiece. Sounds scriptural? I don't know. I think it is. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. But either way, you got a question. What the hell is he even talking about? And what does that even say about God? But we don't have time for that. I've got one of the stupidest things I've heard this week. And it comes from none other than Mario Murillo. And when we talk about prophets and stupidity, oh, he's top choice. You know, Todd, there's something that they do in Hollywood in telling stories, and they've done this forever, that they stole from the word of God. That's right. And it is this, the reluctant hero. Let's talk about the reluctant hero just for a second. And and, and, And it is this. Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi says to Luke Skywalker, I'm getting old. I can't do this anymore. You got to save the universe. Uh, Captain Kirk, uh, you know, I know you're retired, but things are bad again. And we need somebody and we we need you. And your one life can make a difference. Okay. Then all of that came from the Bible. So every story idea came from the Bible. Hold on. Incoming transmission. I have... I have a message from someone wanting to respond about Captain Kirk on screen. Greetings, snarky faith listeners. I am Spock, and I only have one thing to say. This is illogical. It's also so profoundly fucking stupid. Well, Spock's got a point. And that was profoundly stupid. But it is nothing. It is nothing! That is actually going to prepare you for your Christian cringe of the week. This is the worst thing you may hear this week, even though there's lots of horrible things to hear week after week. But this, this, this is Greg Locke. And I know Greg Locke says lots of stupid, horrible, insensitive things. Greg Locke speaks as if he is Yosemite Sam on Adderall. But yes, nothing's going to prepare you for this. Coming out of a pastor's mouth on a Sunday morning. So with all shame and everything else that can go along with it, here's your Christian Cringe of the Week. Christian Cringe! No! Please, no! No! 
about this way for the most part overseas, but churches in the American culture, you know one of the largest expenses we have in buildings? The amount of handicapped parking and handicapped accessibility that we have in our churches. Now let me make you mad for a minute and I don't really care. Well, we ought to start having some signs out there that don't have, you know, like, like handicap, accessibility, people in a wheelchair. We ought to start having signs of a wheelchair laying down and somebody just walking up. Mmm. Mmm, mmm, mmm. Mmm. So many thoughts running through my head right now. Uh, well, I'll go ahead and say this from someone who had a sister that was special needs and needed a wheelchair who... I also had a mother that took us to tons of randing, rando healing ceremonies to try to fix, quote unquote, my sister. So from a person who has been to tents, who has seen handicap accessibility and non-handicap accessibility, the most profound thing I can just simply tell Greg Locke is, fuck you. Fuck you, you little man. Because if you want to do this, also, you know, what a weird rant on the fact that churches have to pay too much money for handicap accessibility. Is, is that a little weird? Because really, if you want to talk about churches and funding issues and budget issues, let's talk about salaries of pastors. But we don't want to talk about that. It's just easier. It's easier to poke fun at people who you see, Mr. Locke, as lesser than, and that essentially are the marginalized in so much of society. You know, the people that Jesus would actually give a shit about are the people that you don't, because you are a small, stupid little man. And if you actually just think I'm ranting on Greg Locke, oh no, he is actually going to be hosting. He is an upcoming wait for this, debate about whether the earth is round or whether the earth is flat. Deep thinker. Deep thinker he is not. But asshole, yes. 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 He's an asshole. Yes! So, now we've reached the point. We've gone through the dregs. Now, let's go ahead and step into something way more edifying, way more interesting. Because today I have, I have a number of authors that I'm going to be sitting down with from the new book, Sitting in the Shade of Another Tree, What We Learn by Listening to Others' Faiths. It's a new book from Choir Publishing, and here we go with our conversation with the authors. We've got a special treat for you guys today. Uh, we have a panel, I guess a panel or conglomeration or a cornucopia of voices that we've got going on here. Uh, it's all for the new book that's coming out for Choir Publishing called Sitting in the Shade of Another Tree, What We Learned by Listening to Other Faiths. I got a early copy of it, and it is a, it is a, a great book of experiences, light bulb moments that happen when, whether they be challenges or triumphs in our lives. And the common thread here is like shared humanity, understanding, and a desire for connection. Um, and so let's go ahead. So joining us here today is we've got Keith Giles, who's no stranger to our show. 
So welcome, Keith. Thank you so much, Stuart. Good to be back. Uh, and, and I'm excited, looking forward to this conversation. Absolutely. We've also got Caleb. I'm going to butcher your last name because I didn't ask you earlier on. Uh, is, it, uh, is it Caleb Gilland? Uh, Gilland. You're real close, man. Okay, close. Okay. That's, that's, that's all I'm asking for, just within the target space there. We've got Duncan Pyle. Am I all good there? Hello? Okay, yes. Duncan, and, and where's everyone coming to us at? Duncan, you have an interesting voice, so where are you coming to us from? Is I'm this... from the UK. Okay. Uh, so that's why it's very dark. I found the quietest corner of the house, but it's also the darkest corner of the house. <laughs> I'm rather glad it's not going out on video. I, I don't know. I mean, I put a, put a candle in there and get a little wine with you. I, right. I think <laughs> mm, you've already that's set the mood afterwards. for us. <laughs> and again, and we also have uh, Safri Paskus. How am I doing? You got it. Oh, excellent. Good way to land on that. And Safri, where are you coming to us from? Right now, I'm in Fairfax, Virginia. Fairfax, Virginia. Nice. Yes. So, Keith, this, this whole project came about through choir publishing. And so I want you to give us, give us like a little bit of the, how did this whole baby get birthed? <clears throat> yeah. Um, I think it's an interesting story. Yeah. So, um, you know, Matthew DiStefano and I are uh, business partners. We are co-owners of Choir Publishing as of January of 2023. And uh, before that, we were authors, you know, published with Choir. And both of us also blog on Pathios uh, quite extensively. So um, knowing that we were getting ready to take over, you know, Choir in January, um, you know, we're thinking of ideas, like things we want to do. And I had this idea um, that I thought would really be perfect to partner with Pathios, since both of us, you know, blog with Pathios, we have a relationship with them. That's a really positive relationship. Um, and the idea of the book was what, what this is, right? Sitting in the shade of another tree. And I think we had that title almost right off the bat. The vision was, um, you know, like most of the time when people of of a certain faith uh, or any faith get together to talk about a different faith than their own, it's usually to point out all the things that are wrong with it and how they're wrong and you're right. Uh, being very critical, right? And so I thought, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if we could get together, you know, different contributors who would write from their from their perspective, their faith, you know, perspective, but talk about, you know, looking at a different faith and saying, what's right about this other faith? What's great about it? What's good about it? And in fact, what are some things I have learned from uh, this other faith or maybe someone, uh, maybe a friend from another faith system that has actually enriched my own faith in some way? So that was the vision. And I thought it was perfect for Pathios to partner with us on this because they're their largest religious blogging platform on the planet. And they already have all these people blogging on the Hindu channel, the Baha'i channel, the, the, you know, the Jewish channel, the, you know, uh, all the Muslim channel, all these other channels. Um, so they already had access to a lot of writers who were kind of already doing that. So it just kind of made sense. And we went to them, uh, Matt and I, you know, Kind of pitched this idea to them and they they loved it right off the bat they were like yes let's do it and so it's taken almost a year um for us all to pull it all together but um and you know we have some of our contributors here on this call that we can talk to but yeah it's uh, it'll be coming out at the end of uh, september september 26th actually very soon uh, as we're recording this anyway very soon and so uh yeah i'm super excited for people to read it um i think there's so much like you said there's so much amazing insight, profound personal stories here. Um, and it's beautiful. To me, it's just a beautiful thing to hear someone, you know, to hear a Muslim talking about what they learned from Christianity or, you know, a Catholic 
what they learn from, you know, um, Hinduism or, or whatever. I think that's so great. So it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful project and I'm very proud of it. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Thanks for putting this together too. Really, really excited for our conversation within this. So I'm going to kind of spin the wheel here based upon wherever your square is in my purview. Um, what I want to ask is, let's start, well, let's start with this. Duncan Pyle, the man with the beautiful accent that is just waiting there uh, in the dark for us. Um, <laughs> so Duncan, g- give us like a little bit about your, your journey and kind of what led you to a place to be able to write in a book like this. Yeah. Okay. Well, how many hours do we have? I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep it as brief as I can. Um, I suppose um, you could say I'm a, a thinking Christian. Um, my brain switched Uh-oh. on sometime in my, I know, I know. My brain switched on in my 20s when I started looking at some difficult questions, um, particularly questions about the nature of hell. And I remember going kind of mad, like just thinking, well, I can't live with this. I can't live with the idea that even one person, how could heaven be heaven for anyone if even one person is in hell, burning forever? You know, so I I really got into a lot of deconstruction, though. Didn't call it that at the time, neither did anybody else. I'm now uh, 48, so it was some time ago. Um, This is where you meant to say, you don't look 48. (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) No, it's all good. Um, it is. Solid 47. So, yes. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> so that journey led me to a place where all everything was up in the air. I moved to the USA, and I was asking all these different questions while studying at a very odd Bible school. And a friend of mine introduced me to the poetry of um, Hafiz of Shiraz, which is what I've written my chapter about, Sufi mysticism. And I just loved it. I, I, I read every poem I read just set me on fire, made me alive. And I thought, hold on, this is written in the 14th century. And it feels like it was written a second ago. And it's, it felt like the life I knew in Christ was the same life I was reading. So if I knew God, this guy knew God. There was no question of it for me. And it brought down a barrier um since when i just retained that absence of barriers uh, so the, when the question came up you know would you like to contribute to this this was the obvious um place for me to go because it's spoken to me about many crucial matters including lots of matters that are also spoken about in christianity but because i'm so over familiar with all the verses it can be very boxy and uh, you know packaged with all kinds of traditions i no longer hold to but hearing it from the point of view, reading it from the point of view of a completely different voice and a different culture um, really opened my eyes to, and deepened my appreciation of, of what I was seeing within. Thank you. Thank you, Duncan. Now, Safri, what about you? Let's, let's, let's give us what, what about your background and experiences and what yeah, brought you to us today and this book. Well, I was born in Beirut, Lebanon, in 1944. And I was born to a Muslim family. Although primary school was a Catholic school. So uh, we used to take catechism, and I used to go to church every day with the other students. In Lebanon, uh, you'll find that uh, 
various uh, people from various religions are mixing very freely. And when I grew up, it was a truly pluralistic country. Mm. So uh, I didn't think of Christian as the other. They're simply my neighbors. And I did not pay much attention to any differences uh, as a Muslim I might have with them theologically or they might have with me. I just wasn't worried about that because it wasn't an issue. Mm. In 1969, I came to United States. I decided to move to United States. Primarily because I read somewhere they used to have those cultural centers at, uh, uh, tied to the American embassies in various countries in the Middle East where you can go read American newspapers, cartoons, and so on. I read where the United States is a country of neighbors. And I thought about that, and I thought I, I really like that. So I start planning to move to the United States. Consequently, I start taking a course in English. My main language is Arabic. My mother tongue is Arabic. And I studied French, and I spoke it as well as Arabic. So when I came to the United States, my English was basic, I should say. And I learned to speak English here, you know, but I've been here long enough to, to, to say that I, I learned to speak English uh, to, to, to be able to express myself the way I like to. So during the time from uh, 69 until 2001, all I wanted is to convert everybody into Islam. Thinking that anybody that will give me 10 minutes, I'll prove to them logically that Islam is the way. I, I found out later that the other people were thinking the same way. <laughs> yes. If you only give us 10 minutes, we'll show him that Jesus is the way. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, uh, to make the long story short, at the eve of 9-11, I was in Saudi Arabia working on a project mm -hmm. for somebody over there. It's in my, uh, in my piece, in, in the book, by the way. And uh, my wife called me panicking, saying, please watch the TV. So, I mean, she was panicky. So I thought I, I left what I'm doing and start watching the TV. And frankly, I saw the second tower falling and the few minutes that took for that tower to fall, I was watching all the goodwill I created in the United States fall with it. Hmm. So uh, the work that I invested in from 69 to 2001 went down really with that tower. Uh, I, I knew I knew better to, I mean, I didn't like uh, those uh, guys accused of doing this, but I had all kind of question marks on, on who they are and their capabilities. The guy I was doing the project with is a four-star uh, Air Force general in Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. He's the guy responsible for bringing the F-16 to Saudi Arabia. The next morning when I went to work, he was writing an article. He said, Safi, I want to share this article with you. 
basically his article said with with what we know those guys couldn't have done what they've done they don't have the technical capabilities to reprogram airplanes in mid-air and the guy knows because that's what he does uh, for a living but this is not really i mean uh, this has to do later on we'll catch up to it because once we start talking about jesus we and loving your enemy uh, i'll have a lot to say about the reaction in the united states mm. anyway that that same night 9/11 my wife who was here in in fairfax with my two boys uh, preparing them to go to university uh, got a call from a friend of ours and she said to my wife we are having a prayer vigil tonight why don't you join us with the boys mm. so my wife went there first time she went to that place and uh, people were sitting in a circle praying for the president for john ashcroft for everybody in the government and suddenly somebody started praying for osama bin laden my wife was shocked uh, that was her first brush with people loving their enemies mm. and actually she started crying and the boys were crying because their mom is crying and uh, on her way, on her way back home she called me i was still in jeddah and she said to me safi you'll never guess what happened those guys pray for their enemies i said what do they call themselves she said they call themselves jesus followers mm. i said well uh, they're worthy of knowing mm. let's start looking into that mm. and from that day on my reaction to 9/11 was not to hate anybody but to try to educate mm. so i instead of uh, whatever i started translating the quran into simple easy to read easy to understand english and as a result i have uh, the translation called the quran a contemporary understanding contemporary because i i i translated the quran as if it was revealed to me yesterday mm. and as if i'm seeing it with fresh eyes by the way that experience happened to me later on when i start seeing jesus and he was talking to me now mm. not like the person who lived 2000 years ago but today mm -hmm. that's also contemporary mm -hmm. so that conversation makes sense to me today mm -hmm. i don't have to put it in context the context is now mm -hmm. so anyway then uh, a friend of mine an evangelical uh, friend of mine who's a true believer and he heard about uh, the followers of jesus and he started changing to become a follower of jesus instead of simply a christian jesus was the focus not the gospel not paul not anybody else but jesus hmm. so anyway uh, you know so he told me safi the mission is not done unless we try to find the commonalities between the bible and the quran so we started the second book the quran with the references to the bible 
And I don't know if you think that we find any references there. Uh, <laughs> well, mean, what, 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 were there a few, like a handful, maybe one, two? Uh, what do you we, think, Safari? We, we stopped at 3,000. Oh, and we, we show gone, off. We could have gone further, but that would have made the book much larger. You know? Yeah. So anyway, to make the long story short, after that evening that my wife spent with these people, she kept going there. And then I joined her in the United States and we started going there too. And I discovered that those people preach Jesus plus nothing. Mm. And that was very interesting because they're talking about the person of Jesus without any uh, doctrine, basically, mm. talking about his teachings talking about how those teachings can uh, bring people together, establish common ground, no controversy, no doctrine to discuss, simply uh, following those principles that Jesus talked about and try to live them. Mm -hmm. Sound too simplistic, but in fact, I discovered yesterday that people still holding a grudge mm -hmm. Uh, on 9 11. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I forgave uh, the terrorists. I forgave the American government for whatever role it plays. I forgave the, the Israeli government because I think they were involved too. And uh, I forgave all the Islamophobes that tried to spread the hatred uh, based on those. Uh, Muslims, terrorists, uh, coming and trying to attack United States. Well, I had nothing to do with it. I mean, mm -hmm. I yeah. wasn't even in the United States at that time. <laughs> yeah. But I was accused anyway. People looked at me differently. They, uh, my name tells them that I'm not born and raised uh, in, 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 in uh, Virginia. Uh, so in the last 20 years, I think every Muslim experienced a lot of Islamophobia. Yeah. But that's okay. Uh, it's a test. Uh, it's a trial. It's a way for us to forgive others and to try to love them. And guess what? Everything that I find that Jesus taught that I was extremely fond of, I found in the Quran. Mm. So that tells me the message comes from the same source. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to convert to anything. I don't want to convert anybody to anything. Everybody has a role they're playing. Mm -hmm. And I believe that we are all extremely useful. And God created each one of us specifically, not accidentally, specifically because he thought that we have a mission. So my, my, my task became my quest became is to discover what is my mission on planet Earth. Mm -hmm. well, my mission is to love my neighbors and to try to model those teachings of love that I now try to live by. Mm -hmm. You know, so uh, sometime when I talk to some Muslims about forgiveness, uh, especially uh, loving your enemies, they think, what happened to you? then I will point to them what the Quran says about this. And then 
they leave and come back a couple of weeks later and they say, you know what we were talking about? It makes sense. So they mm -hmm. think about it and suddenly uh, they see it. It's not part of the culture today, Islamic culture, but it's part of the teachings of the Quran. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I keep saying to people, what, what I try to do is to introduce Jesus of the Gospels to Muslims mm -hmm. and, to and to introduce Jesus of the Quran to Christians. Mm -hmm. Jesus is really extensively mentioned in the Quran. Yes. Extremely revered. Yes. Extremely respected. Uh, but Christians and Muslims don't know this. I mean, in, even in Lebanon, I found out there'll be neighbors living in the same building on different floors, but neither one read the book of the other. Hmm. I had that same experience. I'm sharing this with you because it hurts me. Hmm. I was in Amman teaching a, a class of American students who spending a, a, a semester in the Middle East using my book, the Quran, with the references to the Bible and talking about the common ground. Hmm. Uh, a friend who is a minister, an evangelical minister, had never read the Quran although he lives in a country that's 90% Muslim. And he's asking me, how can I deal with my Muslim neighbors? <laughs> well, the first thing you need to do is read their book. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, I took time to read the Bible and to work with the Bible. Mm -hmm. And that is not a very pleasant experience. It's a huge <laughs> book. It is true. About, uh, you know. And it has all kind of authors. It's not one yeah. author. And yeah. you have to go through all this and try to make sense out of what they're saying. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I said, first thing you need to do, my friend, is to go and read the Quran. Try to read the Quran. And I'm available to you. If you have any question, just give me a call. Anyway, uh, so Christians and Muslims in Jordan don't talk to each other the way they should. They should uh, sit down courageously and call it the way they see it. Mm -hmm. And they will discover there's plenty of bridges that uh, they can both cross and plenty of common ground they can build those bridges on. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is basically why I decided to accept the invitation mm -hmm. to join uh, uh, the group that's writing that book. And I uh, truly like to, to thank Keith for his spirit, for everything he's doing, uh, for his mission. Uh, I believe we have similar missions coming at them from different directions. Mm -hmm. But at the end, I think we, he's my brother in faith and in humanity. Mm -hmm. And we can work together beautifully. Mm -hmm. This is what brought me into this. And... Uh, be glad to answer any other questions. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Safri. Yeah. Yes. And so now I have uh, introducing here, too, we've got Caleb. Caleb, who is kind of a Georgia brother from another mother. We both hail from the same area in the South. So, Caleb, t tell us about you and your journey. And, yeah, give us a snapshot into you. Yeah, man. So, uh, first of all, yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, so, my path to this was a little interesting. So, I'm... I'm 
high school friends with um, somebody who just wrote a book for choir, Heather Hamilton. Um, I think it's super, super great book. You should definitely uh, take a, take a look at it. It's about deconstruction and her journey through it. Anyway. So I basically have seen her blogging for a long time. And um, I found that sometimes I would have comments on her blog and we would chat back and forth and, you know, um, long conversations, a few of those. And, uh, you know, she asked if I might be interested and put me in touch with Keith and then, uh, you know, that's that's how I got here specifically. But, yeah, I mean, my journey is, is, is a little different. So I grew up sort of Southern Baptist in the South, um, North Georgia, um, like you. And I, you know, I, I I didn't really have, like, a problem with it. Like, a lot of times, like, I, the people I, I'm, I'm friends with now, a lot of them kind of have gone through, like, a deconstructive process or maybe even identify as, like, existentialical or something, at least till the time I was 15, like I, I didn't really have any major issues with that. There were, there's some stuff that I thought was interesting, but um, you know, I, I feel like being an extrovert, for example, probably really helps you. Um, if there's like a lot of social pressure to like come up to the front and like this sort of saving ceremony, you know, maybe if you want to, you know, you're not really so extroverted, maybe you don't feel like you can go up there in front of all those people. Mm-hmm. So there's some stuff that I, I thought was interesting about it, but broadly, like I, I was a good Baptist boy. I tried to do, you know, try to do the right thing. I tried not to, you know, break any rules too much. Although I don't, I, w- I wouldn't say that I was excessively like rule oriented, but anyway, I, I had like an experience when I was in high school and um, um, basically it led to me becoming a Baha'i. And it, actually, interestingly, it, it, Masafi, um, like was talking about the Quran and how it has a lot of um, parallels with the Bible and a lot of references that you can see in that. So for me, I, I was doing a report um, on a bunch of like basically mythology um, and I got it done too quickly. So my supervisor told me that I had to go and add something to it. Otherwise he was going to get on to me and I wasn't going to be able to, you know, take it easy in that class for very, very much longer. So I, I'm like, well, I already know about like mythology. I'll, I'll start, you know, add on like a world religions basically because ancient mythology were kind of like the world religions of that time. And so I'm like, well, I already know a lot about Christianity. So I'll add on Islam. Um, and at that time I, I didn't really know a lot about it. So I opened up the Quran, um, started reading it, and like it really hit me in my heart that it was the same kind of spirit that spoke to me when I read the Bible, mm-hmm. and I didn't know what to do about that. And so this was right before 9-11. This was like 1999. I have to completely date myself. Um, and so I, I basically did research all throughout the summer, all throughout the fall, and tried to figure out, like, what do I do with this? And mm-hmm. when I was at the public library, a book fell out in front of me called A Short Introduction to the Baha'i Faith. And kind of long story short, I read through that. Um, I prayed about it a lot. I, I started reading the writings of Baha'u'llah, the prophet founder of the faith. And in a lot of ways, I was very attracted to it. And I, I felt the same feeling when I was reading Baha'u'llah's writings as the Quran and as the Bible. And like one of the, the main tenets of the Baha'i faith is that God, there's one God. He created humanity to be one. And that all major world religions, you know, maybe not the kooky ones, but the major ones, they're all kind of like on this path that god has been leading humanity towards till now mm-hmm. and so i really i thought that was quite interesting i met baha'is um you know they seemed like you know the faith talks about this unity of religion like unity of religion but also sort of the uh, unity of races unity of like sexes and stuff and i remember uh, like in north georgia you know there were frankly everybody was pretty much white right in, in <laughs> north Forsyth county kind of dawson county and I, I remember going to my the first baha'i meeting that i went to and, you know, there were white people there, but there were black people there and there were Mexican mm. people there, um, at least Hispanics anyway. There were Persians, like it was all across the board. 
And I thought that was absolutely insane given where I lived. And so, you know, through that process, I, I wound up becoming a Baha'i. But the interesting thing about the faith is because it sees other, like the previous religions as being kind of part of itself in the same way that Christianity has traditionally seen Judaism is also being kind of incorporated in it, at least the Old mm-hmm. Testament. And so it's not just kind of out here in left field by itself. It's, it's taking on all these traditions. And so from a Baha'i perspective, it's doing the same thing with Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. And so to become a Baha'i, in some sense, it's, it's definitely its own thing, but also it's not rejecting any of the, the, the prophets or messengers of, of the past. And so a lot of the sort of theological lenses that I grew up with, whether it's cultural, you know, specifically to yeah. the South or, or whether it's, you know, specific to my, my sort of evangelical tradition, but a lot of those things like, you know, really are incorporated in a lot of ways into the way that the faith talks about stuff. So yeah, that's kind of my story. And um, like the two, the, the kind of the collision between those two things and the, uh, the intersection there, like made really interesting fertile ground for, for talking about um, in this book chapter. And it gave me a chance, honestly, to reflect on experiences I had a long time ago, which I hadn't had a great chance to do. So yeah, again, thanks Keith. It was, it's been really fun uh, to write that chapter. Yeah. Now, now, when listening to all these stories, what I, what I find very interesting, because at least from my background, and I think many other ones, especially in in certain faiths, I think when we're growing up, there's this whole like slippery slope idea that don't go down that way. You don't want to learn about this. You don't want to read about this. Don't go around those folks. And it really just seems like all of you guys didn't listen to it. What the heck is wrong with you? No, um. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but but I'm curious. Like, was was there like, and and I know some people have mentioned these kind of things, but were there were there questions? Were there moments? Were there? I'm trying to figure out what was kind of your gateway drug to to lend yourself towards looking elsewhere. Let's hop. Uh, Duncan, you've been quiet. That's unusual. Um, can you repeat the question? Yeah, Otherwise, yeah. I was going to start waffling. No, no, I, I think to the idea of, of what was what were those moments or what was kind of your gateway drug into, into questioning, into stepping into those spaces of discovery of, of new areas that were not home terrain? I think it's just a series of small moments. And you're right, I absolutely am not the sort of person who does what he's told. Um, although I tried really hard um, for, for many years, but it just led me to misery and I think it was the misery that was the main thing that got me mm. thinking, well, this can't be right. Like knowing God must be the most incredible experience. Mm. And I'm, I'm down, I'm, I'm depressed, I'm bored. Mm-hmm. You know, so I got really serious with God and just when I was about 19. And I remember I was digging in someone's back garden for a few pounds an hour. And I was saying all these things to the Lord, you know, and I was feeling nothing. And I was getting more and more frustrated. So I threw my spade on the ground and I said, God, it's my job to seek you, but it's your job to be God. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this is not what it should be. And I expected the lightning bolt. um, But of course, that didn't happen. I think God was rather pleased. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And after that, I just got really searching. And to start with, all my searching was within Christian boundaries. Mm -hmm. Um, So I went down the whole route of, becoming a charismatic or Pentecostal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I learned a lot through that. I've, I've kept some wonderful things from those years that I, I will never let go of. And it really fed into my mystical experience of God. 
Mm. But actually, it's the mystical experience of God that's really endured um, mm. the relationship with the Holy Spirit. Mm. And it's that mystical experience which enables me to draw from something like the Sufi mysticism um, of Hafiz of Shiraz and any other religious source. If it speaks to me, I can feel that same spirit. Mm. So it was, I think the, the clearest answer is it's the misery. But there mm. were a couple of key crucial moments as well. Mm. I remember when I was about 14, and my brother's best friend was um, only friend too. Was, was killed in a car accident tragically. Mm. And he was out riding his bike, and his parents got up in church a couple of days later and said, "God took our son." And my heart just screamed, "No, that that's not God," you know. And I just mm -hmm. knew that I, it made me think, "I can't, I can't embrace this image of a God who's capricious and willful and." mercurial and one moment he's like oh yeah here's your blessing and the next minute he's like Phew! just because he can you know to teach me some inscrutable lesson mm. and it was the cruelty of god presented to me that started to, that when i was very young really got me thinking but then it was trying to stay in that evangelical tradition i even tried to get into calvinism mm. uh, so someone gave me a book and i had a read of it i thought maybe this is the answer oh mm. boy is that not the answer <laughs> no <laughs> it's theological it's theological s m is really what it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, really. really. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I think it's just having a brain that's switched on and a heart that's open. And then these things Ooh, come along that. and you have a choice to make in those moments, don't you? Yeah. Love that. Love it. Um, so, yeah. So I like that misery and what was it? Spade abuse? Is that kind of <laughs> what led you? Yeah, sure, spade abuse? Sure. Okay, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. Now, Keith, I, I know you're kind of the ringleader of all this, but do you have, do you have a, a thing, a moment, a thing that hit you? Yeah, you mean they kind of sent me um, yeah. into a different direction? Yeah, I, I feel like I've said this. I've been interviewed so many times about this stuff, so I won't. I won't tell the big long story. But for me, it was essentially. I mean, I was I was raised kind of like Caleb was saying. You know, I was raised Southern Baptist. I was in Texas. Uh, you know, uh, that was my whole world. You know, and and um, I I thought you couldn't be a Christian if you voted Democrat. And I listened to Rush Limbaugh, and I was a member of the NRA, and had a bunch of guns. And I mean, I was completely, so, so completely invested in that identity. Um, but I think what turned me around on all of that kind of sent me, had me question that um, <clears throat> was I did an interview. This is like in the nineties. I was writing, uh, I started writing a column for relevant magazine and it was called subversive. And um, the very first guy I interviewed, the very first person I interviewed, um, I asked him this question um, what is, what is the biggest problem with the church in America today? And I, I kind of thought he, he was going to say, we don't read the Bible enough. We don't pray enough. You know, I, I don't know. I just, I had a general sense of what I thought he was going to answer, but his answer blew my mind. And he said, um, he goes, well, the problem is in America that Christians don't understand the gospel. And I said, well, can you elaborate? What do you mean by that? And he says, well, you know, the gospel is not saying a prayer so you can go to heaven when you die. Now, I had been licensed and ordained as a Southern Baptist pastor. I had ser I was currently at the time serving on staff at a at a church uh, in California, a, vi a vineyard church. My wife and I helped start. And no one had ever suggested to me that the gospel wasn't about saying a prayer so you go to heaven when you die. Mm. So I'm like, what is he talking about? You know, and I said, well, you know, go on, go on. And he said, well, you know, the gospel is what Jesus gives us. Jesus tells us the gospel and you, you found it in the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, right? John. And, and Jesus in the red letters tells us the good news. That's what gospel means. 
And just look what he says over and over and over again. The good news, the gospel is the kingdom of God is within you. And it's not something you have to wait until after you're dead to experience. It's you can do it anytime because the kingdom of God is right is within you now. And that that single thing, I mean, that that idea, I, I always say it rearranged the furniture in my mind, in my in my heart, in my spirit. And nothing was ever the same again. I, I, what I realized was, I think that was so powerful and significant for me because what I realized was I, I had lived, you know, I was probably almost 30 years old at that point. And I thought I've lived, you know, all these years of my life and been serving as a pastor of a church all this time. And I was wrong about the gospel. What else am I wrong about? You know, because that's such a foundational thing. And that really started getting me into this mode of re-examining all the things I've been told. And so, of course, the next things were like, is the Bible in there infallible? Is internal torment really uh, in the Bible? And, you know, penal substitutionary atonement theory. Like, I just kind of went down the list of all these things that were, I thought were these sort of pillars of my of my faith. And one by one, they just started crumbling. I just realized, mm -hmm. no, none of this, no, that that's not, that isn't correct. And, um, but it, all it took was that one little thing about what the gospel was and wasn't. That's what kind of set me off in this direction. So. Thank you. All right. So I've got, well, I've got a question too for the group and uh, we'll probably, we'll, we'll hop around um, for this one. But um, when, when you think about where you were and where you are today now, was there a, can you think of a word or some sort of a concept that has dramatically changed in your understanding as you've moved forward in that. Oh, I like it. Our Safri's got his hand up. He's he's the best student here. Go, Safri. Jesus. Jesus is the word that changed dramatically mm. in my mind. I used to think of the Gospels as the four Gospels, the four mm -hmm. canonized Gospels. I even read the Apocryphy, uh, but... The gospel is Jesus himself. Mm -hmm. This is what I came to understand. Every word Jesus uttered is gospel. So he is the gospels. In the Quran, I learned that God told Jesus as he was being born and told his mother, Mary, because she was giving him birth. We will strengthen him with the Holy Spirit. Mm. So if the Holy Spirit for a Muslim mind uh, is with somebody, that means everything he's perceiving is he's perceiving through God. Mm. And everything he's expressing, he's expressing through God. Because that in the Quran, that the Holy Spirit job is to communicate what God wants to say to a particular prophet or messenger. So to be with Jesus from birth all the way until he was resurrected, that means Jesus is enabled to do all these miracles, is enabled to be the gospel, is enabled to raise the dead, give sights to the blind, mm -hmm. all these miracles that are mentioned in both the gospels and the Quran. So my, my experience changed dramatically my understanding of who Jesus is. Thank you, thank you. Caleb, what about you? Yeah, it's a good question. So I think for me, the, the biggest concept that has changed my understanding um, has been the idea of context. 
So I, I think mm. kind of like what y'all are talking about, it's like when you have like an evangelical Christianity, like you have the, a prayer that you say and you have like maybe words that you say. And it's like you have this like sort of a historical transaction that happens, right? It's like Jesus, you know, substitutes himself, you know, on the cross for you. And that's kind of all there is. But the thing is, is like, I mean, yeah, right. I mean, that's not how I would necessarily describe it now, but like the way I grew up, right? Mm -hmm. And but the, the deal with that, though, is that you don't need the Bible for that. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if you've ever seen like, you know, people talking about like how to how to evangelize people, they'll like be sitting in a restaurant and you can like, you know, if somebody's asking about Jesus, you like get a napkin out and you draw like a little thing, like there's two cliffs and a chasm yes. in between, right? Mm -hmm. You know that whole thing. Yeah. So it's like, you don't, you literally don't need the Bible for that. You need, you need the Old Testament up to Genesis 3 where people are fallen, right? <laughs> Skip forward to the New Testament, have a little paragraph by Jesus as a sacrifice, like a substitutional, yeah. and then you're good. You don't, you know what I mean? You don't need anything mm -hmm. else. And that's just, that's so ahistorical. That's, that's so universalized. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't do justice like to, to the, the story, mm -hmm. right? I mean, like there's a, there's a beginning, right? You know, there's the idea of the people of God in the Old Testament. I mean, it's complicated at times, but it, it does matter because the the story of that matters and because if nothing else like jesus jesus is jewish which still makes me laugh when people kind of think that that's sort of a, a strange thing to say yeah but then you know but jesus and paul like they're immersed in like first century you know roman occupied judea mm -hmm. and so the things that they're saying the way that they're writing like even just like the forms of, of the letters they use like they have a meaning yeah. and so like if you don't if you just think about this as just some universal transaction, you miss that. And not only that, like if, if everything is kind of like, you know, pie in the sky, like free, like and like um like just this this sort of a historical thing, you don't actually understand like what Christianity was able to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Like the Roman Empire wasn't just like you know we, we kind of glamorize it for watching TV, but it was a really brutal empire built on slavery and mm -hmm. the idea that Caesar was God. And, you know, Christianity, like, it kind of is subversive. It goes underneath all that. It goes into the bottom. It turns it upside down to where, you know, the people that are on bottom are now on top. Mm -hmm. And the idea of just arbitrary power for its own sake, well, I mean, that doesn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. And so if you just go to church, like an evangelical church, and not to knock them, you know, God know, but, like, you, you will miss all the actual things that happen in real history because Christianity. Mm -hmm. Because history just isn't part of the way that I grew up, I imagine that it's yeah. the same for many people like that. Mm. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Caleb. That's good. Duncan, what about you? I think for me, it's judgment. Uh, now, this is a work in progress, so please bear with me. Um, but there's a verse in Colossians that says, um, judge nothing before the appointed time. Um, and then it describes the appointed time and it says when God will expose the motives of the heart. Mm. And it's this idea of exposing the motives of the heart being what judgment is to really perceive a heart. Um, interestingly, that verse then continues and says at that time, each will receive their praise from God, which I thought was interesting. I was brought up with the whole heavy kind of judgment day thing. But actually, th this verse, judge nothing before the appointed time, um, leave that to God. And at that time, the, the motives of the heart will be exposed. Mm. And so, for example, um, say I'm driving down the road, get to the end of the road, <clears throat> stop my car, waiting to get out. And three people in the road don't let me. And they've all got some big, flashy, fancy car. Yeah, and I'm there in my little whatever, my hairdryer on wheels. And uh, it's tempting to go 
well, they're selfish. You know, they, you, you, you judge a motive, you as, ascribe a motive to their action, at which point I've attached emotion mm. to the motive. And that is, that's judgment. That's, that, that's just given me such clarity about what I can avoid doing in my daily life. And then if I sort of return to sort of the tree of knowledge, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, though I'm not a literalist at all by any means, but what's the knowledge of good and evil? It's, it, it's this, it's a self-appointment to that position where you can judge others, but only God will is the one who can ex expose the motives of the heart and also mm -hmm. looking to reward the motives of the heart. And I just feel really differently about Judgment Day now. I feel like, well, I don't know what Judgment Day will look like or whatever, but I don't see it as this terrible thing that's coming. Mm. I see it as this um, a, a process of healing, reconciliation. Yes, there will be repentance where people need to recognize stuff that the, and reconcile themselves to God. And But more importantly, well, no, not more importantly, equally importantly to each other, because mm. most of the stuff we do is to each other. Mm -hmm. uh, and and it's that process that it's almost more like the catholic process of uh, of purgatory but without the negative association mm. um sort of working your way through a process of grace mm. so that whole notion of judgment has moved from this dreadfully fearful thing to something i'm, I'm really looking forward to it mm -hmm. you know it's going to be wonderful love yeah. that love that too. So as as we're as we're kind of moving towards the end of this uh, this interview here, I'm going to have a very quick lightning round for three of you, and we'll end on Keith because uh, I want you to give me us a little snapshot of who who's else in the book, yeah, and what other face we address within that. Um, so I, I'll go around the pile again, Duncan. We just had you on here, so if you could recommend either a book or a work of yours. Uh, and give us the 30 seconds of why. Because people, like, listeners are like, oh, love this Duncan guy. Can't get enough of that just delicious <laughs> accent. I want more from him. How, how, what, what book would you recommend, Duncan? Or, well, yeah. it's, it's a perfect lead-in, really. I, I, I write, I'm a novelist, so I've got lots of fictional novels. Feel free to look up Duncan Pyle and buy my fantasy novels and science fiction. But um, the, what I, I also write under a pseudonym, um, and I write spiritual books. Mm. Uh, James Bewley. Bewley mm. is B-E-W-L-E-Y. Mm. And I've written a book on judgment. Um, I think it's called um, Who Are We to Judge? Or Who Am I to Judge? Mm. And that's available on Amazon um, as an e-book. And there are a series of others. I wrote one called How to Know God, which is a bit of a silly title, but mm. it's really more of a kind of... Uh, anyway, the judgment one. The judgment <laughs> one. Okay, okay that's, that's bang for your buck. Okay, what about you, Safri? Yeah. If people are looking looking to get some of your work as well, too? Uh, well, basically, I would recommend the Quran with the references to the Bible. Uh, by the way, I'm almost done with another book called the Quran with the references to the Tanakh. And I have another book called, uh, uh, well, it's basically the Quran based on themes. Uh, this way, if you're looking for a particular theme, you don't have to go and search it yourself. It's be, it'll be right there for you. Uh, for the last 20 years, that's all I've been doing. I've been studying the Quran, trying to build bridges, trying to find common ground. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I recommend uh, today the Quran with the references to the Bible. Mm. Thank you. Thank you, Safri. 
Caleb, you're up. What about you? And yeah, your so, work? yeah. Basically, I, I this is a career change for me. Um, I hmm. did marketing for a long time, and uh, it's just in the last few years that I decided to do something different, especially regarding religion. So I'm currently doing a PhD at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland, nice. and uh, in Christian Muslim relations specifically. So I'm a, about a year and a half before I'll be finished with it. Hmm. So theoretically, in a year and a half, I'll have uh, my thesis to offer you um, about. About basically Paul, if you look at interfaith relations between uh, between Christianity and Islam specifically, Paul's a problem. Paul maybe is like secretly the biggest problem, and I don't think he has to be, especially mm. with a lot of the new perspective stuff from like N.T. Wright and and some of these other guys. And so that's that's kind of my project that I'm working on. Um, probably soon after that, I'm going to be writing some books about atonement because mm. I think atonement is very interesting, and I think that a Baha'i perspective on atonement and and trying to understand like what do Christians mean by atonement from a Baha'i perspective and how can those be mm. Kind of yeah so nothing other yet I, I think i have some articles on bahaiteachings.org from, from a, a bit back telling my story more specifically but mm. yeah not too much published just yet but uh but looking forward to when that's not the case okay thank you thank you now keith uh i i still can't shake this from my head you mentioned you used to listen to uh rush limbaugh you used yeah. to be in that was there ever a giles mullet oh yes there are pictures yes i can send you some as long as okay. you keep Keep them okay. to yourself. <laughs> okay. Okay. They're those types of pictures. Got it. Thank you. Yes. Okay. I'll keep those on private. Now, Keith, uh, tell tell me about the rest of tell us all about the rest of the book. Some other faiths, some other perspectives, other authors. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I want to thank all everyone. This is our very first time uh, as a group getting together to talk about the book. So thank you all for for, for doing that. Um, yeah, we have we have. I'll let me read the names of some of the contributors. Um, so Brandon Andrus. Some of these are choir authors. Some of them are not. Some of them are uh, bloggers on Patheos or, or friends and people like that. So Brandon Andrus, uh, who's a choir author. Martin Brooks, um, he's the director of Peace Catalyst International. Allison Daphner, um, she's a Jewish, kind of a Jewish housewife. She's actually a friend of mine, um, but she happens to be a great writer. And so I asked her to, to participate. Matthew DeStefano has a great um, chapter in the book. Uh, her Anessa Farad, uh, who's fantastic. She's an amazing Muslim woman. Uh, and her chapter's great. Um, of course, we have, uh, we already talked to Caleb here, Heather Hamilton, um, and she's got a great chapter. Travis Henry, um, who's actually from Patheos, so he actually works with Patheos. He wrote the, uh, sort of the preface. Shonda Ja, Shonda Ja's my co-host. She, uh, on Heretic Happy Hour, she was uh, raised Christian, but her father is Hindu, so she has a really great perspective there. Um, of course, Safi, um, Ijaz Nakbi, who's also a Muslim, and then Duncan, uh, Gregory Smith, Fred Stella, and Kevin Sweeney, who's also a choir author. Mm. So it's a it's a wonderful group of people. I mean, I can't believe the quality of the contributors. And yeah, it's I think this call is great because you're getting like Baha'i and Islam and you know and but we also had and the Sufi and we also had um, Hindu, um, I think yeah Hindu Jewish. And of course, Christian perspectives mm -hmm. as well. So it's it's a pretty. We think we covered most of the bases there. Thank you so much, and and thank for you guys all for being here today. Thank you for your time. The book is "Sitting in the Shade of Another Tree: What We Learn by Listening to Other Faiths." It's new from Choir Publishing. So thank you, everyone, for being here. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, Stuart. Thank you so much. So much thanks to the authors of Sitting in the Shade of Another Tree. It's a great listen. You guys should check it out. But before I send you off, 
because this is the end of the show. Just a reminder to share the show, subscribe, and give Snarky Faith a review over on Apple Podcasts because it helps to get the word out to new listeners. And thank you all for being part of this show week after week. I appreciate you for being here and appreciate the work that you're trying to do. And as I release you into this wild, wide world, I send you out with the holiest amount of grace and peace and snark. That's all I got this week. I'm out of here. Peace be with you. This Choircast podcast is brought to you by Holy Heretics, the post-evangelical podcast where being labeled a heretic is a good thing. We're starting conversations about God, politics, Christian nationalism, sexuality, gender, spiritual abuse, faith deconstruction, and how to recover from evangelicalism. Nothing is off limits in our conversations with scholars, activists, and writers in our quest to find a freer faith. Listen wherever you get your podcast or check us out at sophiasociety.org slash podcast.